That's a, an oldie but a goodie. May it be a sweet, sweet noise to your ear. I hope that all of our conduct, all of our deeds, all of our words are a sweet, sweet aroma to the Lord. A lot of times people go to church, they go to camp, and they, 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 they uh, take part of the singing part of the service, and they call that worship. And absolutely, we do worship during that part. And I appreciate Willie and the, 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 the praise team, the worship team, as they uh, put in a lot of thought, a lot of intentional time so that he, they could lead us in worshiping the Lord through song. Uh, but worship does not stop and solely exist within music. Worship is the words that come off our tongue, the deeds we do, the way we live. It is all an act of worship. So thank you, Willie. Thank you, worship team, for leading us towards worshiping the one and only creator, the God of the universe. Do we have... There we go. You may have heard, seen, whatever, even counseled somebody with some of these quotes. You see, all our dreams can come true if we have the courage to pursue them. Follow your dreams and believe in yourself and don't give up. Always follow your dreams and goals, but not the people. Be the best version of you. I know that was quick. Follow your dreams and stay passionate and everything will fall in place. This is something that we are told time and time again. Just follow your heart, follow your dreams, do what makes you happy and you will be successful. I think Charlie says it uh, kind of, well, in a different way. Obviously, he's, he's joking a little bit, but when I was 13 years old, my, uh, my mom and my dad uh, allowed me to be part of a, a bowling league. I know that is so cool, so hip. Um, I never claimed to be cool or hip. Uh, but when I was 13, I got into bowling, and by the time my, my uh, first season was done, I already had a higher bowling average than my father. Uh, who had been bowling his whole life. And I had this dream, I had this passion that I was going to be in the professional bowling league, the, the PBA, the Professional Bowling Association. Watched them every Sunday. I'd come home from church, turn on the TV, and watch these guys who could bowl insanely well. And I had a dream and a drive to do that. When I was 14, I asked my dad if he'd put me in uh, semi-professional tournaments because I was already winning tournaments at my Little League level. My dad's like, well, you don't have the money for that. That gets expensive. You have to get a sponsor, do these kind of things. So I contacted bowling alleys. I contacted friends who had businesses, and I said, hey, will you help sponsor me so that I can go in to chase my dream? And at time after time, they all said no. But that didn't stop me. When I was 16, I joined an adult league, and I learned, and I grew from the best bowlers on the league. By the time I graduated high school, I was averaging well over 200 average every single week, and I was amongst the top tier even in the adult league. I had a, a desire, a passion to follow my dreams, and it was after my junior year of high school that God got a hold of my life and called me into full-time ministry. And I wrestled and I debated with God 
because I really desperately wanted to go and be on TV, to be in the bowling circuit. And I'm like, God, the, the PBA needs God. I can be a Christian in the PBA. I could be like a, a chaplain for the PBA. And I started trying to manipulate God in my life. And then I realized that if you want to be any good in bowling, you're going to have to bowl on Sundays. And if you bowl on Sundays, you're going to miss the opportunity to connect with your local church. And I knew that God was calling me to work with my local church. So I tried to manipulate God a little bit more. God, I can bowl all week. And I can tell all the bowlers about Jesus, and then I'll just come back to church on Sunday. Because pastors only work one day a week anyways, right? Right? <laughs> Absolutely not. That's what, that's what the young junior, high, or junior in high schooler thought. Finally, through arguing and debating with God about the future plans of mine, I decided it would be better to follow God's call for my life than to follow the dreams that I had ever since I was a wee little kid. And trust me, that was absolutely the choice that I needed to make. Uh, now I, I have the privilege, I, I bowl with a group of men that I didn't know before this year. I bowl on a, a, a local league and I enjoy hanging out with them and I get to tell them about uh, who I am and tell them about God and they are absolutely not like me and I love that. God took my passions and he allowed me to use it in his calling, but because I was obedient in his calling, he has allowed me to be blessed in that way and to use that ministry other ways. Now, God's not calling every single one of you into full-time ministry in a church or on the mission field. Some of you, absolutely, and I would encourage you, listen to God's calling. I was youth pastor in South Carolina, I've mentioned that before. I had a student who told me, he's like, God's calling me into youth ministry. I'm going to go to Bible college, and I'm going to go, and I'm going to start serving God in the, the local churches. Well, he was already serving in our church, but after college. And he told me this dream about God's call for his life, and his mom and dad did not support him at all because youth pastors don't make money. I don't know if you knew that, by the way. They, they, they don't make much money. Uh, you don't go into youth ministry to, to be the, 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 uh, the, the wealthiest person in the world. Well, he comes back to me. He goes, my mom and dad won't let me go to Bible college. They're going to make me go to a trade school. They're going to make me do all these things. And ultimately, parent, his parents squashed his calling from the Lord. Now, parents that are here, if your children go into full-time ministry... Please do not try to squash that dream. I don't care if it doesn't pay much. God will always provide. Teens, it doesn't matter if God's calling you to, to serve in your local church or abroad. If it seems scary, that's fine. I would encourage you to always follow God's call on your life. Now, some of you are going to be called to be doctors, lawyers, nurses, farmers, stay-at-home moms, hopefully not deadbeat dads because God wouldn't call you to be a deadbeat dad. Take responsibility, and your ministry is full-time in what God calls you to do. So if you're, if, you're, if you're a school teacher, God calls you to be a school teacher, be the best school teacher that you can be. So when I say follow your dreams, and then I, may, and then, and, and, and then I recognize there's a better plan, if we align our vision, if we align our heart with God and his plan... It's, it's not going to be a challenge. He's not going to make you have a miserable life. If I obey God, man, my life is going to be miserable. If I obey God, man, the church is just so boring. If we have that mentality and we don't follow after God's calling in our life, trust me, whatever path you choose for you will eventually become absolutely miserable. I love guys like Tim Tebow and Carson Wentz and other strong believers that are professional athletes, and they are not just professing Christians, but they actually live their faith out. 
So God might call you into some type of profession that calls you to be uh, away from your local church on a Sunday. But, but one thing I love about Carson and one thing that I love about Tim is they still connect with their local church when they can to the best of their ability because they value the local church. So I guess what I want you to understand in this message as we go through this whole thing is when somebody tells you, just follow your heart, let me encourage you that that is not good advice. And we're going to see why in just a moment. Jeremiah 17.9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and beyond cure. Who can stand it? Proverbs 28.26, Whoever trusts in his own mind is a fool, but he who walks in the wisdom will be delivered. So... Then you hear, have people say, well, what about Psalm 37.4? Delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. Well, when your heart is desiring God, he will bless you. When your heart is desiring to go against God, we covered that this morning. If you seek that hard enough, he's going to give you over to the desires of your heart. And that is a very dangerous place to be. Ecclesiastes 11.9, rejoice, O young man, in your youth. And let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and uh, sight in your mind. Now, I'm going to read that again because if you just stop there, God just told me I can do whatever I want and be happy and, and just do all these crazy things and he's going to bless it. I'm going to read that again and then we're going to read the rest of the verse. Rejoice, young man, in your youth and let your heart cheer you in the days of your youth. Walk in the ways of your heart and the sight of your eyes. Just do what you want to do, right? Then there's a word, but know that for all these things, God will bring them into judgment. Being a Christian is not boring. Being a Christian is not miserable. Being a follower of Jesus Christ, recognizing that he is truly the one and only way, is not a miserable place to be. God, as Willie mentioned at the very beginning, God is the creator of fun. And, and what the world says is fun, it, it, it might seem like fun for a moment, but then it just leads to destruction. And if you don't believe me, Look at your friends and who they look up for, to and look 10, 15, 20 years down the road and where are they now? If they followed that path of what you thought was fun, it will always lead to destruction. God will give you over the desires of your heart, but that's not a safe place to be. One of my favorite passages in all of Scripture is from Proverbs chapter 3, and I love it because it reminds me that I am absolutely a nobody, and if I try to follow my opinion of things, then it's not going to lead me in a good way, but God has a better place and a better path for me. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, trust in the Lord with all of your heart, and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. If I make it all about me, I'm going to fail, I'm going to trip, I'm going to fall, I'm going to stumble, and ultimately it's going to lead to my demise. If I acknowledge the Lord with all of my heart, and I lean on him, and not my, my you know, crazy, silly, experience-mindedness, if I just trust my experience, it's going to lead me astray and it's going to hurt. If I follow the Lord, he will direct my paths and he'll make it straight. But here's the thing about following the path for the Lord. You never know more than one step ahead. He tells you just enough information so that you can continue to trust him, have faith in him, and he will lead you step by step. Have you ever been in a very, very dark place and you have a very horrible flashlight, maybe just your cell phone uh, for, a, for a light? I remember I was hunting in South Carolina. I was on a piece of property I had never hunted. My senior pastor walked me out to my tree stand. He goes, all right, this is where you're going to go. And I'm going to come back when, when we're done and when we're going to leave. And I get down from my tree stand. It's pitch black. I have no clue where I'm at. I pull out my flashlight, my battery's dead. 
I pull up my cell phone. My, ba- my cell phone has like 25% battery. And this was like before you actually had like decent, cell- like decent flashlights on your cell phone. This was like the old flip phones that just had the, the glow of the phone. And so I'm literally walking through woods I've never been in before, trying to find my way. Just one step at a time can keep me safe. And then off in the distance, I see a flashlight. And so I stop. And it's my senior pastor coming back. And his, his mega mag light lit our path to safety. If I would have just gone in whatever direction I thought was right, I was going in the wrong way. I would have ended up in a completely different part of the forest, the woods, and he would have never found me. And it would not have been a good thing. Here we see Adam and Eve uh, being faced with the same temptations that we are faced with every single day. As we read this passage, I want you to understand, I want you to look at how is the truth being attacked and how does mankind's opinion of the truth create a major flaw. We're going to read this passage as a whole, then we're going to go back and we're going to uh, kind of tear it apart piece by piece and learn some lessons uh, from this passage. But starting in verse 1, Genesis chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you should not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but God said you should not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and it was a delight to her eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise... She took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and the wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to man and said to him, where are you? And he said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten of the tree which I commanded you not to eat? The man said, the woman whom you gave to me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. And we'll stop there. really need to just keep my hands out of my pocket, I guess. There's a lot going on here, and we're going to unpack it in, as we go throughout this message. The first thing that I want us to all understand is that the devil is real, and he is crafty. The serpent was more crafty than any other beast that the, uh, on the field that the Lord had made. The serpent is just one of many names of the devil. His name that God gave him was Lucifer. Lucifer was a beautiful, majestic angel. Uh, he thought that he could be as uh, wise or even wiser than God, and God cast him out of hell or out of heaven. He cast him out, and one-third of all of the angels chose to follow after Lucifer. And God cast them out of heaven. Most people want to say, well, the devil is in hell. Well, the devil's not in hell. He will be eventually. Hell was created for him and his, his uh, fallen angels. We use the word demon for them, but they're just fallen angels. And while Satan and his minions are here on earth, he has basically one job that he tries to do. And that is to deceive you and me and every single human being on the world so that we do not trust the truth that God says. God gave Adam a command, said, do not eat of this tree. 
Then God created woman out of the side of man. Obviously, Adam communicated with Eve at some point because she, she got the instructions a little right. And we don't know. Maybe God did say don't touch. We don't see that anywhere written in Scripture. But you notice that she says we cannot eat it nor can we touch it. So we start to see truth being manipulated. And even before that, Satan's like, can you not eat of any tree? Well, no, that's not what God says. Satan was trying to manipulate the concept to make you think that God was not a good provider, that God was a meanie, and that God did not care about what was best for you. So Eve responds well. It's like, oh yeah, we can eat of all the trees. We just can't eat of this and we can't touch it. And then the devil, the serpent in in the form of the serpent, goes on to say, God's a liar. He's not telling you the truth because he knows that if you know the truth, you will be as wise as him. So that's why he doesn't really want you to eat of the fruit. That's the same lie that we have every single day of our lives. Did God really say you shouldn't do blank? Well, he just doesn't want you to have fun. He doesn't want you to experience love. Did God really say that? Because God really doesn't mean, he doesn't really mean that. He's just a mean God who doesn't want you to be happy. And we all know that our happiness is the most important thing in the world, or so we think. He is the great deceiver. He is the father of all lies. The devil is called the, the God of this age, lowercase g. If you're, if you're not familiar with the whole lowercase g, capital case g, capital case g is, is the name of God or the position of God. Anything that's lowercase g are false gods. And so in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, it says, in their case, the God, the lowercase g, the The God of the world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. He's real. He's powerful. He has abilities to do things that you and I cannot do. But notice what it said at the end of verse 1. The serpent is more crafty than any other beast in the fields that, look at the last few words of verse 1, that God has made. Satan is not the brother of Jesus. Satan is not the brother of God. Satan is a created being by God for a purpose, and he chose to reject God, and now he's trying to get everybody to reject God. He is powerless compared to God. But God does give him some power to do his work on earth because here's the cool thing. God's not a puppeteer. He's not up in heaven trying to make sure that that you do everything that he wants you to do. He wants you to do that out of your love for him. Because would it really be love if he made you do everything And you didn't have a choice. See, real love gives you the choice. Because here's the choice. Adam and Eve sinned. They were kicked out of the garden to protect them because of God's grace and mercy. Because death entered the world and he knew that if they ate of the tree of, of life, that they would have everlasting life and they would be dying forever. And that's not a good thing. And so God kicked them out of the garden so that they wouldn't eat of the fruit because he loved them. And part of that responsibility, part of that consequence of their sin is now death entered the world. And so God created a beautiful plan before the foundations of the earth that Jesus Christ would come as as a baby, we celebrate that at Christmas, live a perfect life, die for our sins, rise from the grave three days later, that's why we celebrate Easter, and he is now at the right hand throne of God being our mediator between us and God the Father. He gives us life, and the devil does not like that. That's the hope we have 
That's the life that we can have. The devil doesn't like that. The the very end of the book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, I I love the book of Revelation. As as, uh, Willie was even talking about, it is... It's that Friday looking forward to the weekend. It's that hope of what's going to happen. And in the book of Revelation, it tells us everything that's going to happen moving forward for all eternity. And you know what happens to Satan and his minions and all of those who reject Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior? They get cast into the lake of fire. Hell and Death and hell get cast into the lake of fire where they will spend eternity separated from God. So we don't have to fear and and worry about the devil controlling our lives because God is more powerful than him. But we do need to understand he's real and he's crafty and he's going to make you think that if you just follow your heart, then you'll be okay. And God says, don't follow your heart, follow my heart. And if you follow God's heart, you will be on the path that he is guiding you step by step. Sure, you can't see two, three turns down the road. But just like a foggy day, your headlights give you enough distance to get to your next destination safely, so does the trust of God to take you from that step to the next step. In 2020, not only was it a bad year because of all the chaos in the world, both politically and pandemically, but 2020 was also the year that my wife got diagnosed with cancer. We had no clue what was going on. We go to the, she goes to the skin doctor, and the skin doctor says, hey, you need to go to Sioux Falls, South Dakota, and there you're going to meet a doctor. The doctor is going to tell you exactly what you need. You're going to meet the surgeon, and we're going to see what we can do because this type of cancer can be very aggressive, and you need it to get taken care of now. So for about three or four weeks, we had no clue what was going on. We literally had to live day by day trusting in God. We get to our appointment, and we had been given some incorrect information. The information that we had been given by our doctor in town was that she had stage 4 melanoma skin cancer. And if you know anything about stage 4, basically it is the worst type you can have. And it didn't look like she'd have more than 3 to 4 months to live. Try wrapping your brain around that when you've got a family of 3 young children, a ministry that's been going in a good trajectory. And now your whole world just stops. We get to Sioux Falls, and the doctor goes, I don't know who wrote your wife's paperwork, but they wrote the wrong code. She does not have stage 4 melanoma cancer. She has stage 2, and it's operable. And if you get it removed, it could potentially get all the cancer out, and she could live a healthy and normal life for the rest of her life. For four weeks, we thought my wife was dying. Ultimately, we all are dying. None of us are promised tomorrow. But those four weeks forced us to rely even more on Christ and his plan. Some people have difficulty coming into their life and they want to blame God. They want to turn away from God. They want to hide from God. And there's no peace there. Adam and Eve sinned. And when they sinned, they realized they were naked and they, they hid from God. Now, why in the world would you hide from the creator of the universe? And I love how this passage of scripture shows that God came down to earth and walked with them. And because of their sin, because they were deceived, they hid from God. We need to remember what Ephesians 6.12 says. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. There is a spiritual battle going on, and here's the good news. Remember, only one-third of the angels fell. So I'm not a very good mathematician, but that leaves how many angels left? How many? Two-thirds. Is two-thirds more or less than one-third? More. Is God more or less than Satan? Satan. 
So is it a better side that God and the two-thirds angels are or his creation? But here's the trick. Here's the, the lie. Here's the manipulation that the, the devil ha- gives to Adam and Eve is following your heart causes us to doubt the goodness of God. And if you look back at that passage, you can see it. Because the devil questions God's goodness and Eve buys into the doubt. Did God really say No, you won't surely die. And he was partially true. I mean, he knew that they weren't going to, like, die physically on the spot. Maybe he didn't know that. God just doesn't want you to be wise as he is. There was no evil in the world outside of the devil and his one-third angels. Everything was perfect. Why would Adam and Eve even need to know good from evil? There was no evil other than the devil and his fallen angels. The devil oftentimes will doubt, cause us to doubt his goodness. I have been in the exact same situation as Adam and Eve. They're not special in that way. You have been in that same position as Adam and Eve Something comes into your life and you, you see that it is desirable. It's beautiful. It's going to taste good. It's going to feel good. And so we take it and we consume it into our lives. But God had already said, don't go down that path. That path is dangerous. If we had time, I'd call my brother Mike up here and say, hey, Mike, tell me about all the drug addicts that you counsel on a daily basis and how they, they went down this slippery slope of addiction and how they thought that it was going to bring them pleasure and joy. And it's just brought, brought them to absolute devastation and brokenness. I've counseled so many teenagers across the years that, that just pour into, I just thought it was going to make me happy. And then you can fill in a laundry list of sins that they allowed their bodies to go through to fulfill the joy that they thought they could have. Now, I'm going to tell you a little secret that most pastors don't tell you. Sin is fun. Think about it. If it wasn't fun, why would we, why would we do it if it wasn't fun? You think the, the devil is going to tempt you with doing something that looks d- disgusting and vile? Sin is absolutely fun for a very short time and then it leads to destruction to death you would never get into any form of addiction if it didn't bring some form of pleasure temporarily James chapter 1 smacks me right between the eyes Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself can tempt no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Then the desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Why do we sin? Because we like it. 2 Timothy chapter 4 For this time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them in great number of the teachers and say what their itching ear wants to hear. Does that sound familiar to 2023? You can turn on any form of social media, you can turn on any single screen, and you will be bombarded with a message from the world, and they are told, over and over and over all these things that just sound so good the devil is not stupid he's a very very bright individual but he makes a lot of really dumb mistakes because he's trying to compete against the one and only almighty god who guess what happens at the end of revelation he's destroyed so why is might as well take as many people as I can as long as I'm on this path. I might as well just take them all with me. Might as well blind them and deceive them. 
Paul, who wrote a majority of the New Testament, was a righteous man, right? He, he was a Pharisee. He was, the, the, he was a religious leader. He thought he was obeying God, but he did not know the true God and the path for salvation until he was on a road, on the road to go kill Christians. When God blinded him and Jesus had a conversation with him, and for, for three days he was blinded, and then he went and he, he went to the university of Jesus Christ where he was taught about all which was true, and then he lived his entire ministry for the purpose of planting churches and desiring to serve and spread the good news. He has this to say about this battle that is inside of us in Romans chapter 7. For I do, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I want, I agree with the law that is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want, that keeps on going. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells in me. So I find it to be the law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God, in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of the mind and making a captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from the body of death? pause right there. He sounds very hopeless because there's this battle going on, but this next part explains where the hope comes from. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but my flesh I serve the law of sin. There's a battle going on, and if we do not choose to follow the goodness of God, moment by moment, the flesh will come in and destroy and we will have this battle for as long as we live on this earth until we get into our new body, which is no longer going to have sin in it. We will no longer have to worry about the battle of the flesh within because ever since Adam and Eve, every offspring that came through them were born into sin, and we have this battle. In counseling, there is a phrase, why do I do what I do? Because I want what I want when I want it. Paul emphasizes that battle that is within us. And too often when we get into a situation, we get full of guilt. And just like Adam and Eve, we run away from God. But I want to challenge you with this third part. Allow your guilt to bring you to God, not hide from God. Then the eyes of both were opened. They knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. And they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden of the cool of the day. And man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. Can we really hide from God, though? No. God is everywhere. He can see all things. He knows all things. And even when he asked Adam and Eve, hey, did you eat of that tree I told you not of? God already knew the answer. It's no different than a parent asking their child, like, did you eat that chocolate chip cookie? And while they've got, like, chocolate smeared all over their face. I was really dumb as a kid. I thought I could, conf- I thought I could trick my mom and dad from everything. Like, I would go in, and I would eat all, like, the cookies or whatever, and, like, with, with chocolate chip teeth. Like, did you have the cookies, Rob? No. And, like, the chocolate's just dripping off my mouth. God already knows what's going on in our hearts. We can't hide from him. 
but we are hiding ourselves from the opportunity of walking with him. And that's where it's actually dangerous because we are no longer in fellowship with God when we're hiding from God. My daughter's five years old. We, we play hide and seek sometimes. You think she hides very well? She'll be like, if I can't see you, you can't see me. That's like what we do with God when we hide our sin from God. We're not hiding anything from God. He knows it. He just wants us to say, God, I am on the same page as you. I recognize that it's sin, and I want to give it over to you. <laughs> I, uh, I have a friend who has a very dirty job. Uh, he gets home from work, and he's filthy, just absolutely filthy. And uh, what do you think he does when he gets home and he's absolutely filthy? Do you think he takes a shower and does his laundry, or do you think he just sits and wallows in the, the filth and the dirt and allows everything else to get around him? Well, he takes a shower. That's good. Hopefully you guys have taken more than one shower this weekend. But if the shirt is too dirty, he goes and he throws it away. I'm like, why in the world would you throw it away? There's like a washing machine that you can go use. And too often we do that with our lives where we get so dirty that we think we just need to throw our lives away because we're not worth it. Acts chapter 3 verse 19 says, Repent therefore and turn back. It is your sin that your, that your sins may be blotted out. Give you a... A helpful way of understanding this last point. If guilt is driving you to hide, that is not God talking to you. That is the devil trying to bring up your past, which God has already forgiven. So if your guilt, if your conscience is driving you to hide from God, it is not God trying to talk to you. It's the devil trying to keep you from having a conversation with God. God has already promised if we seek him for forgiveness, if you confess with your mouth, he will forgive you and he will cleanse you of all unrighteousness. He's not going to bring it back up again. So you're like, God, I'm struggling with this. I know that I have sinned against you. I know that I have done this against you, but it keeps on getting brought up and it gets brought up and it gets brought up and I can't let it go. And it haunts me. And it creates a, a, a feeling in my life that I absolutely hate. And we constantly feel like we're failures. I remember growing up thinking, man, if I did that, then I must not love God. And if I don't love God, I must not be his child. I remember asking Jesus to be in my heart like a thousand times. That was not God talking to me. That was the devil saying, you're worthless. You're no good. You are the identity of your sin, is what the devil will tell you. So if it pulls you away from God and it causes you to hide from God, then it is not godly guilt or a godly conscience. But on the flip side, if your conscience is speaking, a.k.a. if the Holy Spirit is speaking into your life and you recognize you're guilty and you have not confessed that sin to God and it draws you near to God, then that is 100% God trying to bring you back into a right relationship with him. I love the story of the lost son. Some of you guys might know the story as the prodigal son. Son goes to the father, the father the son goes to the father and goes, I want all of my inheritance, I want it now because I'm going to go and I'm going to eat, drink, and be merry, and I'm going to have a blast living life. And so the father gives him his inheritance, he goes off, he enjoys life for a very short time until he realizes that his friends weren't really his friends, and the choices that he made were not wise, and he finds himself eating in the muck with a bunch of pigs, and he just starts thinking, I wonder what my father's house would be like. Would he ever take me back? Maybe if I go and I just be his servant, maybe I could get some crumbs. 
And he finally allows himself to get up the courage to go back to the Father. And on his journey back to the Father, the Father sees him a long way off. And he runs and he wraps his arms around his son. And he greets him back into the family as his child and throws a huge party for my son has come back from the dead. That is God the Father. God does not want us to hide from him. He wants us to come back to him and he will welcome you as his child. It is absolutely a marvelous thing that we cannot screw up any worse and God still just pours his love on us. Now that's not a license to go out and do whatever we want to do. Because if we are receiving his grace and his mercy, the natural response that he has given to us is that we should show him our love. And we should show him our love by what we do, how we act, how we talk, and in every aspect of our life. When we allow the Holy Spirit to guide in our lives, we turn to God. And the freedom of forgiveness is an amazing weight off your back. I have lived in times where I had so much sin in my life that I thought I could hide it from everybody. Fourth, fourth, third, fourth grade, I started getting labeled problem child, troublemaker, bad kid. So I'm like, fine, I'll just live up to my reputation. So from that moment on through my, my junior year of high school, I did everything that I wanted to do. I wanted to be the God of my life. I wanted to do what I wanted to do, and I didn't care what anybody else said. But then on Sunday, I'd put on my suit, put on my tie, because it made the ladies love me. And I'd go, and I would put on a show every weekend. And I wasn't fooling anybody. After my junior year of high school, so about 10 years went by, after my junior years of high school, when, when God finally forgave me, and I don't say finally forgave me because it was anything he was doing or not doing in my life, I was hiding it from him. I come home from camp, and I confess my sins to my mom because most of my sins were because I hated my mom. And yes, I know you're not supposed to say hate. I hated my mom. Why? Because she actually cared enough to try to discipline me, to show me the right path, and I hated that. My mom and I did not have a good relationship. My mom and I love each other now. I love her to death. She's like, Rob, I want to tell you something. Every Tuesday she had a women's Bible study. Every Tuesday from the time I was in fourth grade until that junior year of high school, she goes, every Tuesday we've been praying that you would come back to God. I thought I had everybody fooled. I thought that I was hiding it all well enough. You can't hide from God. Just like the story of the lost sheep, the shepherd goes off and he seeks and he runs after the one. He leaves the 99 behind. He goes to rescue the one and brings him back and welcomes him back into the fold. Some of you here are a child of God. And you have been running from God way too long. And tonight you need to run back to God because I promise you this, because scripture is truth, it's the cornerstone of truth, it's the pillar of truth, we can trust it because God said it, he will welcome you back, and he will forgive you of all of your sins, he will cast your sins as far as the east is from the west, which if you don't know geography, they never touch. If you go east, you're always going east, if you go west, you're always going west. And he will never bring it up and hold it against you. Ever. It's blotted out. When we see God face to face and, and the record books are open and all of our deeds and thoughts and everything that we're in there, it's going to be blank page after blank page after blank page because the blood of Jesus Christ has already blotted it all. You are not the identity of your sin. Your identity is in Jesus Christ. And don't let the great deceiver try to get you to follow your heart, to manipulate the goodness of God, and hide from God. That is a lie. If you truly want freedom, real freedom, 
All you have to do is bring your confession back before God and saying, God, you already know this. I've been running away from you for way too long. Will you please forgive me? He's already forgiven you. Many here today have never experienced the freedom of God's love, never experienced that, that weight off your shoulder because you've been trying to do this whole thing on your own. Well, if I just go to church, I can go to heaven. If I just take communion, I can go to heaven. If I just get baptized, I can go to heaven. If I just join a church, I can go to heaven. If I'm just a good enough person, if I do this, if I don't do this, I can go to heaven. You cannot go to heaven by anything you offer because you're not righteous without Christ. He is the perfect sacrifice and the only one who can give life. We have to find life in him. So maybe you're here today and you've been wrestling with this idea of, I'm just not ready yet. I'm not ready to do the whole Christian thing. I'm not ready to accept God yet. Let me encourage you, make today that day. Because living in the freedom of God's grace and mercy is better than any experience in your life. It's better than any Super Bowl winner tomorrow. I've heard testimony after testimony from professional athletes who have Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. They go on, they win the biggest game of their life, and they go, it's nothing compared to the relationship I have in Jesus Christ. Don't hide yourself from God any longer. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have created all things good. We are so grateful that you truly love us and you have given us a way to get from death to life. Please forgive us when we try to hide from you. Please forgive us when we think we know what's best. Please forgive us for when we try to be the gods of our life. Thank you for your promise that you are faithful to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Father, I pray for each person here, teenager or adult, myself included, that you would shine your light into our heart so that we can see what you call sin and confess that to you, Lord. Students aren't the only ones who struggle with sin. And we need your forgiveness. Father, it breaks my heart to know that there are, there are, that are some here today that are intentionally rejecting you. And have not chosen to accept that free gift of Jesus Christ. Father, I pray that you would soften their hearts. I pray that you would take the scales off their eyes. I pray that they would truly see you for who you are and accept you into their life today so that they could live free from the weight of sin. We can only do it because of you and your perfect sacrifice. Help us believe you and not the father of lies. Help us live in direction of you and not hide from you. We pray these things in your son's name. Amen.